Welcome to the Why Not Podcast with me, Chrissy Hawkins. In a world where everybody asks you why, I'm here to ask why not. So sit back and relax or walk and listen and join me on this journey as we try to answer this never-ending question. What makes people say why not? Hi guys, welcome back to Why Not. So today I have an interview with Claire Feldman, who is a psychotherapist. I would go into, I'm going to let Claire tell you a little bit more about herself. So welcome to the podcast, Claire. How are you? Hi, I'm I'm good. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, yeah, my name is Claire. I've been uh, working as a CBT therapist for around ten years now, but in the last four years, I've really been specialising in. Um, disordered eating recovery so I work primarily with women to help them um, who struggle with kind of emotional and binge eating. Okay so how did you end up uh, getting into psychotherapy in the first place? Um, well, I used to do a very different career before so I was uh, in a former life I was an HR manager for retail and just very much felt like a bit of a, a square peg in a round hole. Uh, didn't feel like it was it was right for me. Um, I guess I'd always had an interest in mental health. Um, I had grown up in a home with a, a mother who had mental health issues. And, um, and I suppose it's of no coincidence then that quite often when we grow up in a home where there's been difficulties that we want to be rescuers and we want to learn how to help and I think it was that really that spurred me into training in cognitive behavioral therapy and um, I found that I really loved it I loved that particular modality um, and so yeah started kind of voluntary doing voluntary work initially and then moving into working within GP practices um working with GP referrals kind of primarily working with anxiety and depression okay and then what brought you to the disordered eating um the disordered eating uh it came about really because well initially I had thought that I wanted to help women to lose weight and had kind of been thinking actually the mindset is the part of it that women really struggle with the most that we all know about kind of calories or macros, but it's often the, the mindset and the self-sabotage that is the thing that can railroad us. So initially when I had first started Etology that um, I was wanting to incorporate kind of nutrition advice alongside mindset work, you know, challenging our unhelpful thoughts and our unhelpful habits and behaviors. Um, what I, I guess realized quite quickly is when I started to work with women who really struggled with their weight, um, I could just see just how deeply ingrained their connection was to food, their emotional connection to food, and how, I guess, just how disordered a lot of their eating was. And, and I kind of got to a point of feeling like it didn't, it just didn't quite sit with me, the focus on trying to help people lose weight when there was such disordered eating issues there it didn't really sit well with me and so I kind of started exploring what else was out there I came across then training um, eating disorder specialism training um, and did that and it was that that really kind of made me realize that actually not not focusing on the weight loss, even though that's often what many people who come and see me are wanting and wanting to pursue, that actually 
resolving the issues around food, addressing the emotional eating, addressing the binge eating was what I felt really kind of drawn to uh, and aligned to. Had my own kind of disordered eating history back in my late teens and, and early 20s. So it was something that I could really, uh, was familiar to me and that I could really connect with. So it was that, really that training um, from the National Centre for Eating Disorders that really kind of cemented for me that I wanted to specialize in in that area and that's what I've been really doing for the last last four years now. Oh brilliant and when you had people who were say coming to you for weight loss and you were kind of working with the disordered eating did did you get a lot of pushback with that or? Yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) with with pretty much every um every single client there will always be um this desire that on the one hand they will either really want to lose weight or will be terrified of gaining weight Mm -hmm. and then on the other hand they really want to resolve the issues that food you know and the hold that food has over them and they really want to recover from the disordered eating and what I will always kind of explain is that like right now those two goals cannot coexist together yeah we can't have a goal of weight loss because a goal of weight loss is all really focused around restriction, calorie counting, tracking, and the goal of recovery is about letting all of that stuff go. Yeah. <laughs> so the two just can't exist together. So there will always be that kind of pushback. And I tend to just ask clients, look, what feels more important? Does recovery feel more important or the potential of some fluctuation or some change in weight? What feels more important? And like, is it possible that the weight loss could even just be in a box and kind of put to the side for now? It's not that you can never ever bring it out again or that you can never have that goal, but is it possible that it could go in the box for now and just be put to the side and we focus on recovery and that's generally what we'll do and every so often the 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 box will come out (laughs) and we'll have a conversation and then we try and just put that box to to the side again and so yeah it'll come up with every single client but you know it's I, I have to be I have to stay very true to me and and have integrity around what I do so I will never ever promise or guarantee weight loss um whenever I'm working with the client now do, do they still come to you with weight loss or are they, are they coming for the eating disorders now? Um, primarily they'll be coming for the disordered eating. I will get um, some clients that will come to me and um, clients who are in um, much larger bodies who, who are keen to lose weight. And, um, and again, it'll be, a, uh, you know, it will be a kind of a similar conversation of I can help you with your relationship with food. I can help you if there are issues around your emotional eating and, and that's what we will focus on. Weight loss may well be a byproduct of what we do. It may yeah. well be a byproduct of what we do and of the changes that we make. Um, but again, I don't make guarantees. Yeah. Do you find that does kind of happen? Like, oftentimes yeah it can happen um I think you know particularly if a client is really engaging in a lot of binge eating a lot of kind of destructive eating habits that whenever they're able to overcome those issues that there may be some um weight release what I do often find however is that it's maybe never as much as what the client would like 
yeah what the client would would hope for it's generally not as much because we can all hold that ideal can't we you know in our mind of what we think our ideal weight might be but particularly if a client has come to me and they have maybe had years of losing loads of weight gaining loads of weight losing loads of weight that with clients like that that there's so many factors probably that will come into play in terms of like what impact there has maybe been on their metabolism and what age they are now that the ideal that they might have in their head about what weight they think that they would like to be at or what would be at their ideal weight just might actually be very very different than from what their body the body wants and that can be very different like the the logical the number in their mind might be very different from what the body wants and what the body is able to given what the body has been through and did I did I struggle to come to terms with that kind of or you know it can be very difficult to kind of to come to terms with that um but also, you know, quite often when when someone has worked with me and we've gone through that kind of journey, like what they often discover is that they do feel so much better in themselves, you know, their their confidence, their self-esteem, that there are a lot of other improvements in areas of their life, regardless of what their weight is doing. And that's what we really kind of we hope for that you know, somebody can get to the end of this process and have a healthier relationship with food or maybe engaging in more like health promoting behaviors that they're engaging more in life that they're, you know, they're feeling much better within themselves, regardless of whether their weight is at the kind of that number, that figure that they have in their mind. Is there um, somewhere like do you find with clients a lot of time that number they come up with is there like a common theme where they get it from like social media or a weight they were at some point or the the weight they wear at some point is probably like a really common one so it might be like a weight they wear 5 10 15 years ago a weight they wear back before they had children that we they'll often kind of romanticize about like a specific weight perhaps that they wear at some point in their life and again we have to really look at the fact that well a lot of time has passed since then and your life has changed your stress levels are different your priorities in life are different so we kind of have a good conversation um around around that and and sometimes whenever people say oh I want to be this weight because like I was that weight before and then when I'll ask well what were you doing to get to that weight when you're at that body weight what were you doing and they'll be like oh I was eating 1200 calories a day I was working out you know seven times a a week I was walking 20,000 steps a day I was like um on uh calorie controlled shakes and I'm like well that's not gonna be (laughs) feasible is it because what you were actually doing there was being so restrictive and over exercising to get to that weight that's definitely not what your body naturally wants to be yeah I think is they they forget all the stuff they did to be at that weight, don't they They just see the pictures and go didn't I look right yeah oh I looked great there but then maybe when they start to dig a little deeper they might be like well I might have looked great but actually I was really miserable <laughs> yeah I was really miserable or I wasn't able to go out and socialize 
hospitalized or I was obsessed with food or I was literally killing myself in the gym to get to that and and if you feel like you're killing yourself to get to a specific weight or try and maintain a certain weight that's definitely not the weight where your body wants to be yeah um I think that's I've I've done say cuts and stuff like that and one thing I do have to remind myself is it was like it wasn't fun <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's great for the photo shoot great I have some great photos after but like I couldn't wait to start eating mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. being able to do stuff again yeah yeah absolutely and I think yeah we we can romanticize I think when we look back at previous weights and and think that that was ideal but when we dig a little deeper and look at how we felt maybe around that time and and even when we have you know that whole saying like you wish you were the size you were when you thought you were fat yeah you look back to the weight you were at 30 or the weight you were at 20 and and actually if I was to look back at 20 year old me like 20 year old me is was much smaller than what I am now as a 44 year old but um I was very unhappy yeah. in my in my body you know so a size eight and thought I was fat you know at a size eight so I think often like how we feel about our bodies is actually nothing to do with the size of our bodies it's just more about our thoughts and feelings yeah I actually remember a time I put up the photo about it before that I I lost a lot of weight around the time I was 20 and I thought finally I'm skinny you know and I think you remember that and then I saw a picture of it recently and I was like oh my god that was not good yeah yeah it's crazy crazy sometimes whenever we we look back at those things and just thinking like how how um anxious or how insecure we actually were about our bodies and uh, at a time when actually they were really small yeah yeah it was not a good time in my life either so as soon as I started eating properly again it all came back on yeah yeah as it tends to do yeah um so what kind of say tools do you have that you would work with people when they are kind of having these um like working through these issues um it depends I guess on each kind of individual client and like where their issues might lie so like often where I will start is more with the kind of nutritional rehabilitation stuff so if a client is like severely under eating or that their eating is like really ad hoc really chaotic skipping meals you know all of the time that where we often just begin with is how can we bring in some kind of structure um, and some kind of consistency to eating without it becoming like a prescriptive meal plan or without it becoming like a new diet um, that often the focus is just on um, bringing in balance, balanced meals, regular eating, and really trying to help like stabilize blood sugars, ensuring the clients are getting enough kind of stable energy throughout the day, um, and ensuring that they're eating enough kind of for their body's needs to try and minimize those, like, for example, if, if binge eating is happening, and um, trying to bring in kind of that stable release of energy and trying to minimize the um, urges to, to binge. That's usually kind of where the early um, sessions and the initial work will begin. And then we kind of explore more like the mental and emotional issues that they have. So with anybody that has disordered eating, they will have really like a really strong, powerful inner critic in their mind. And they will probably have loads of rules around food 
and and will often engage in kind of that extreme thinking that black and white thinking so you know if they have one thing that they deem to be unhealthy they feel like they've blown it they feel like they're a failure and then they maybe end up just eating a whole load more um foods um so we really kind of work at looking at like what is that inner critic telling them um what irrational thoughts are coming up all the time um and and how it's impacting them emotionally so we really kind of try and work on how do we tame that inner critic in their mind how do we bring in more compassion more understanding for self um and how do we i guess learn to have an identity and and fulfillment and joy and pleasure and all of these things in life outside of their eating disorder because quite often when someone has an eating disorder it kind of preoccupies so much of their time so much of their energy so much of their headspace like how do we find meaning in and joy and pleasure in life outside of that how do we build up self-esteem and you know and so much stuff outside um of the of the eating disorder um so um, I, I am a CBT therapist, so often like my work will be looking at that, helping them manage their unhelpful thinking and their emotions. Um, but for a lot of clients, maybe there is a lot of deeper issues that need kind of focused on, need addressed, such as maybe past traumas and things. So um, there will be elements with some clients as well, just helping them to kind of navigate and manage perhaps past traumas that they've had in their life as well. Um, so it will very much be kind of tailored to each individual on whatever it is that they're they're kind of presenting. And, you know, the, the ultimate with, with every client that I work with, and it, you know, maybe sounds a little bit corny or a little bit really is that they will be so hard on themselves, so critical of themselves that throughout the time that they're working with me, it's how can they develop compassion for yeah. themselves because the the more they criticize themselves the more they berate themselves the more they judge themselves it's just taking them straight back into the eating disorder so how can they foster compassion and understanding and empathy for themselves throughout so that when they do have binges or slip-ups or setbacks that they can I guess not engage in those destructive behaviors they can have some kind of compassion towards themselves and they can pick themselves up take the learning from those experiences and then and move forward and and that is often like at the core of recovery around eating disorders is like becoming more compassionate um towards themselves yeah that makes a lot of sense um I suppose when they they come to you, they've already kind of identified they have some disordered eating issues. But do you find that they get surprised about maybe other things that they're doing that could be adding to it or reasons they might be doing it? Yeah, and I think like what will often come up a lot of the time is um, just how much like an eating disorder will try and compensate and negotiate, you know, a, a lot of the time as well. So if for example i'm working with a client on trying to increase just how much energy they're eating during the day all of a sudden this new behavior will come up which that they might start exercising more 
Yeah. You're increasing that. So it's almost like this, the, the eating disorder is always trying to be in control. And so when one area changes, there's some kind of like subtle compensation might go on um, in another area. Um, but yeah, it's always, there's always so many aspects to it. It's never, I mean, when when someone comes for help, they'll they'll often just feel like the issue is about food mm. and, and their inability to control or manage food or their lack of willpower around food what often will transpire is that an eating disorder has got very little to do with food and more to do with our thoughts and our emotions Um, so that can be that can be really insightful for someone coming for help because they often just think it's to do with their um you know that they're weak-willed or that there must be something wrong with them and actually realizing actually there's so many aspects to this that's not just that not that simple and not that straightforward yeah um you feel bad when you see people saying that like no they're just no willpower or yeah and and they they're blaming themselves that's the thing that can really um I think frustrate me about the whole kind of diet culture is that they're made to feel perhaps like it's their fault they've maybe been given a plan that's totally unrealistic or that's incredibly low calories that's not sustainable for any adult um, human being and then inevitably when they either end up binging or they end up regaining the weight that they're blaming themselves and putting it down to being something to do with willpower when actually willpower is nothing to do with it that's just biology if you're severely under eating your body's gonna you know, react in some way. Your body's going to respond. Yeah. And your body's going to respond either by looking for lots and lots of food because it's been deprived or it's going to respond in trying to conserve whatever energy you do give it and, and store it and hold on to it. And that's not a willpower issue. So it can be really hard to watch people really, really struggle with that and, and blame themselves when it's not their fault at all. Yeah, no, I see that a lot as well because obviously I'm a bit personal trainer and you see all these programs, the transformation programs and, you know, it's at the end of it, you see people going back to them being like, well, it worked before and it's like, uh, technically it didn't if you have to do it again. Yeah, and those, like with those before and after pictures as well, there's that like, we have to remember that the, the after picture was taken after, you know, a period of maybe intense exercise restriction control and well what about the after after yeah you never see one six months after do you never ever see a photo of that person six months after a year after or two years after because I would bet money on it that they don't look the same yeah yeah so it's it's a shame because like it's those before and after pictures that will maybe pull people in to buying programs or to signing up to things and and actually we want something that's going to help us for the long term and, and sustain us for the long term. And, and that's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. Well, one thing I see as well with those um, before and afters, a lot of the time, do you ever notice like in the before, they're all sad and they're slouched over and they're pushing out their stomach and the after it's like tan, standing up, happy. <laughs> and you're like, mm, can, can yeah. I see you in the actual same position twice and let's see yeah yeah so then they've got the worst underwear on in the first photo and they've got the best gear on in the second photo yeah uh, it's like look how happy I am now but are you <laughs> yeah really you're very hangry aren't you in reality yeah. you're about to slap whoever taking the photo if they don't give you something soon 
Yep. Yeah, absolutely. If only we could see beyond that. <laughs> um, have you seen a, a rise in um, disordered eating or is it more people are more aware of it now, do you think? Um, there's definitely been a rise in it um, as a result of the pandemic. I definitely noticed like um, I got a lot more inquiries for kind of like university students around that time because um, <clears throat> what they found was they had been so excited about going to university and then either they ended up just having to stay at home and their all their studies were done online or there was a lot of students that actually had gone over to halls and then the pandemic had hit and they ended up just being stuck in their halls and their rooms away from their family away from their friends um, and having to kind of complete their courses online so definitely kind of from that population we've seen like a real increase in inquiries but also just in general I think in general as a whole um the pandemic had a huge impact on people and and this includes myself as well like the <clears throat> being at home for such a long period of time gyms being closed um not having our usual outlets being able to socialize see people move our bodies in the same way that a lot of people then kind of struggled with maybe either just gaining weight and feeling really unhappy about that or just that during the pandemic because there was so much stress uncertainty and anxiety that they maybe started turning to food mm. for emotional comfort and and then that just became like a much bigger issue and then that they've recognized now as they've as the world has started to open up again and people have started to kind of integrate back into um, working in offices or more hybrid working practices that they've realized actually this has become an issue here um, and, and I need to get help for this. And I think that that was anxiety provoking, I think for a lot of people who spent maybe two years at home in sweatpants <laughs> and things then even just like, how do I get back into the workforce and you know, showing up for myself and and really struggling with, I guess, a loss of confidence around just the change that there's been in themselves and the change in their bodies. Yeah, that was almost like a internet meme in a sense, isn't it? Like the pandemic weight gain or the pandemic 20 or whatever like that. It was very real. I yeah. experienced it, you know, myself. My weight uh, definitely changed throughout the pandemic. And, and I think that is very normal for for a lot of people and we all like I got very comfortable in my sweatpants not seeing people (laughs) I got really comfortable with that and then when people started socializing again and I'd get asked out to socialize I'd almost get a bit anxious about like what (laughs) like going out I'm not sure about that um so I think it's it has been very real for people hasn't it yeah um I got that as well I got really comfortable people were like oh my god I can't wait for this to be over and I was like ah, I get up but like I, I kept myself getting up early so I didn't get in too bad of a routine but uh, yeah. I get up I roll out of bed to my bedroom gym yeah <laughs> I, I'll probably have a nap in the middle of the day yeah I got I got quite comfy with that and I think like the exercise thing like there was people in my gym who were quite you know they adapted quite nicely to like working out from home I just could not get into it just could not get into couldn't get motivated couldn't get into the headspace because like my gym for me is actually hugely about social 
connection. I go to an all-female gym. It's small group training. Um, and there's no mirrors. There's no big focus on uh, body image. It's about, you know, just connecting with other women, having fun and, and building strength and, and feeling good. So I really miss that. And nothing online appealed to me at all. Um, and that was something I really struggled with, even just like from a mental health perspective that I was used to moving my body and uh, and just and wasn't then for such a long period of time. So and that really impacted me. So, it's you know, I think that's where a lot of people, you know, perhaps the, the pandemic did really affect them. Mm. Um, not just physically, not just from a weight perspective, but even just like mentally as well. Yeah, no, I got, I noticed that as well. Like, so we did online classes uh, for the gym while it was closed. And, you know, to start a pandemic, everyone was coming to them. Yeah. And then as it went on, like, they just kept dropping off. And you're like, okay, I can kind of understand why it's not the same. It's not the, yeah. you don't have the chats over Zoom like you do in the gym. Yeah, very, very different. I think particularly in kind of that second wave when we went into lockdown again, it was winter then. I think in the, when we first went into lockdown, the sun was shining. So you could go out for a walk or you could do something in the garden. And I think in that second wave when it was winter time, it just became so much harder, I think, for, for a lot of people. Yeah, no, definitely. Do you people realize actually the impact exercise can can be like as in it's um it can be a sign of disordered eating as well over exercise yeah absolutely I think people can um have like either like a really love love or hate sort of relationship with exercise so I might get like some clients where like the the exercise is absolutely used as a coping mechanism mm. and um and even when I'm maybe like working with them to try and increase the amount of food they're eating and the energy that they're consuming that they'll be quite um that they'll be okay with that and they'll appear to be oh, yeah, yeah I'm fine with that that's okay and that'll appear to be fine but what actually is subtly then going on in the background is that they, they know almost that they've got this buffer of well it's okay if I eat a little bit more energy because I've got the exercise to compensate or I can train a little bit harder so definitely um exercise is absolutely used as kind of like a compensation um and then for other other clients that I work with there may be a real hate relationship with exercise because maybe they associate exercise just solely with weight loss or they have you know uh fear genuine fear or anxiety about going into a gym um particularly if they are in a larger body for fear of judgment from mm. other people that other people are going to stare or you know what other people might think of them um and they may have real negative you know experiences around exercise like I know one thing for me like I love exercise now um and and it's a part of my regular kind of routine but I know there's a little part in me that little kind of inner child that remembers coming last in sports day <laughs> you know I can remember being in the wheelbarrow race and not even finishing the wheelbarrow barrow race so I, I do have those negative and I, I was larger whenever I was a, a child so I do have the that sort of that little inner kind of 
the, the inner fat girl is kind of still in there in, in my mind. And I think a lot of people who have had struggles with weight and um, and have a real poor relationship with exercise will often have that little kind of inner girl in there as well, who's maybe had bad experiences in school, sports days, not being picked for team sports, you know, and, and that in itself can create a real aversion um, to exercise. And, and often with clients like that, I'm really trying to work with them, like how do we find a way of moving your body that works with you, that that is fun, you know, that you can enjoy, that you can imagine yourself doing, you know, um, and it doesn't have to be beasting yourself in the gym, like movement can take lots of different forms. Like I have one client that does glow fit, and so it's like she goes to it's in a church hall and it's in the dark and she takes glow sticks and it's like a raid. <laughs> class. Yeah, I'm like that is brilliant. I want to go to that because like she's having fun. And also just the fact that there's no mirrors and it's dark, that she can just let herself go, have fun, move her body. Um, and she feels brilliant, you know, after she's done it. So I think we need to kind of reframe how we see. I tend to use the word movement more than exercise because I think exercise has negative uh, connotations to it. Like how can we find, how can we reframe how we see movement and how can we factor it into our daily life but in ways that we enjoy? Yeah, no, um, it's good the way you say the, the word movement actually because I do think people do in a sense fear exercise or they feel like they have to go run in loads or they have to go into a gym. And like you said, in the large body especially in the bigger commercial gyms it can be very intimidating oh yeah but even if I think I well, in general I think women find it um very intimidating even if they're not in a, mm. a larger body and um, so say if you are going to go to a gym maybe go to a small gym that just does group classes like what you're doing or where mm. I work where everyone is normal <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and that's and there's so much and that that I suppose is the beauty of of nowadays that there are so many different types of yeah gyms and, and places that you can go like and and so I specifically saw out a female only gym I specifically saw out small group training I love the fact that there's no mirrors you know in in my gym and that really really works for me I know if I just went to like maybe a commercial gym on my own I would probably just faff around <laughs> I would faff around. I would maybe feel intimidated about like the weights area or the big men lifting the big heavy weights. Um, so I, probably that wouldn't be the best environment um, for me. So I think, you know, that's the beauty now that there's so much choice out there that you can really explore and find like what place really fits with me and, and works for me. Yeah, exactly. And and because you're saying movement, it doesn't mean you have to go to gym. It could be that glow fit class or it could be could be going walking with your friend. It could be golfing. It could be anything like and think people take forget that in a sense. Like it has to be, you know, being whipped on a gym floor by someone. Right. I think like walking, walking for me is like the most underrated exercise. Like oh, people, don't need, people don't even think about it when they think of exercise and I think it's like it's one of the most underrated exercise and I think it's so good not just physically and cardiovascular but even just for mental health walking for me like is number one it's just because it's almost too easy isn't it yeah and it's you know you can start small and you can build on it um, I love what for me walking is my time where I throw like an audiobook on or a podcast on and 
I'm very lucky to live quite close to the sea and just walking down by the sea and like that for me is makes such a difference to my kind of mental state um and I think yeah for anybody I'm always encouraging like it doesn't matter if it's only 10 minutes just getting some fresh air getting out getting a walking can make all the difference to your day absolutely yeah no I agree um I do love going out for a little we call it wombling <laughs> my boyfriend <laughs> yeah absolutely um have you like any kind of advice to anyone who maybe considers that they might have some disordered eating patterns but are holding back on doing going going and getting seeing someone or um yeah I think with, with anything like is just like try not to judge yourself if you're struggling with this maybe just get like get a little bit curious about what might be going on for you and and get curious about like what behaviors might you be engaging in that could be kind of keeping you stuck so like the are you over exercising are you skipping meals are you replacing meals with drinks and you know and things instead just get really curious about what might be going on for you there and also kind of having a look at what things might be influencing those behaviors so like are you in, in a gym for example that's really actively encouraging those sorts of things do you need to maybe take a break from that that gym for a while or like are you following uh, influencers are you following some kind of a you know a plan an influencer plan or a dietary plan or or something and might that actually be like a real contributing um factor and and things like even looking at what things are influencing you like, like social media are you getting really influenced by certain social media accounts might they you might be following certain accounts for inspiration but they actually might be doing the opposite they might be making you feel guilty. They might be making you feel worse about yourself. So maybe just kind of have, be, get reflective, get curious and have a look at like, what are all these behaviors that I'm engaging in? And are any of these behaviors perhaps causing me more harm than they are good? And can I try just experiment and get curious of letting go of maybe some of these behaviors, challenging myself to let go of some of these behaviors. Another one might be like weighing yourself on the scales. You're jumping on the scales every day, for example. And, you know, how what's the impact of how that's making you feel every time you get on the scales every day? Um, how harmful is that perhaps being to you? And can I, can I experiment perhaps with reducing some of these behaviors, challenging myself to let go? of some of these behaviors. Um, you can obviously, if you don't feel like seeing someone one-to-one -one or going for therapy is, is what you would like to do, even just exploring maybe some literature around it, you know, getting some good books that are specific around um, the issue that you might be struggling with, really educating yourself around that. And then, you know, from a social media perspective, social media, I think is yours to curate in a way that works for you. So if you've been following maybe a lot of Fitspo type things and actually that might be harmful to you, what if you were to, to seek out like recovery accounts or like intuitive eating accounts or things like that? Because it can be really helpful to even say, oh my goodness, like that person 
has had the same issues with me, but they've worked through it. And, you know, they're sharing advice and, you know, tips and, and strategies and things. So even just immersing yourself in that kind of recovery space in itself might be very helpful. Podcasts can be very helpful. Audiobooks can be very helpful. So I think there's there's a lot of things um, you know, out there now, as long as we seek them out and we find them and we kind of just screen them. First of all, there's a lot of things out there that can be quite helpful just at that starting point of really trying to explore, is this an issue for me here? And and, and educating yourself and getting more understanding. Um, and then you, you may then want to see, is this something that I need support with or is this something that I might be able to, to work through? Um, and, and that is very much kind of dependent on, on the individual. Some people will find that actually using self-help resources, doing reflective work, that might be enough to really help them make shifts. For other people, it just might be more serious. It might be more deeply ingrained. And that's when I would really recommend that you might want to then seek um, more professional help for that. Yeah. Do, do you think one of the hardest parts of it is admitting that you actually do have I say, I don't know, say a problem but kind of issues around it yeah I think it can be really difficult um to do and and even coming and asking for help with something can be really difficult to do because it's you know you're you're vulnerable aren't mm. you you know particularly if it's not something you've done before you're putting yourself in quite a vulnerable position it feel it can, might feel quite exposing it can feel particularly with eating disorders it can feel very shameful you know, that people might be engaging in behaviours that they don't tell anybody else about. And then they're coming to a therapist to disclose these things. So that can be really anxiety provoking and, and can bring up a, a lot. But um, the so much shame is attached to disordered eating that actually speaking about it is the thing that then reduces the shame yeah. around it. So it's really then essential in, in being able to recover. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, okay, I think that is pretty much everything I have to ask you. However, I do ask everyone who comes on the podcast uh, this question, and it is, what is the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you can pick more than one as well. I always do say that. You can pick more than one. I'm trying to think of, like, real life-changing <laughs> <laughs> Advice. Do you know, actually, this is something that's just come come to mind. I remember because like I would have been in the throat, even though like my eating disorder was back in my late teens and, and early 20s. But I still went through, even though I'd kind of recovered from an eating disorder, I still went through years of constantly pursuing weight loss and you know, trying all the latest fads and, and crazes. And like I went into did nutrition training and I know I went when I did nutrition training, I went completely down a, a rabbit hole of like becoming obsessive about everything having to be organic and cooked from scratch and drinking shots of apple, apple cider vinegar. And, you know, oh. I went proper down like rabbit holes and watching all of the documentaries about veganism and, you know, and, and completely um, took over. And I remember like chatting with a PT that I was working with at the time about it and I and, and I love to like have all my knowledge about all the latest research around you know whatever this health 
thing was. And I remember him, um, I remember having a conversation with him because I was talking about the risk of eating red meat and cancer. And I basically, I was not going to eat red meat and uh, I didn't want to have cancer and all of this kind of stuff. And, and he um, had a conversation with me about context about everything in life will have context to it and actually there's a difference between someone you know consuming red meat morning noon and night uh, smoking cigarettes drinking lots of alcohol not engaging in exercise versus the context of someone eating red meat as part of a balanced nutritious diet, engaging in health promoting behaviors, getting good sleep, having good mental health, managing their stress. And that really, that really stuck with me that everything in life has context and that often when we struggle with things, whether it be food or whatever in life, often we tend to polarize things and we tend to go to extremes with things. So anytime I'm kind of, I'm working with clients or even just for myself, it's very easy for us to, to read information, to see something and go down rabbit holes, whether it's a, like a news article that comes up on our newsfeed, we read about something and we're down a rabbit hole and we take it as absolute as gospel. And that's right. And I am always trying to think about, well, what, what's the greater, what's the context behind this? What's the bigger picture in this? Because with anything that we see, with anything we read, with anything we hear, there's often more to it than what meets the eye. There's often reasons behind why one thing has happened or why a person has done a certain thing. So for me, it's always about trying to kind of like take a step back from something, consider the bigger picture and putting like that one situation, that article, whatever it is in a bigger context. That is uh, really good. That is brilliant, actually. It was a very long winter. <laughs> no, no, no. I really like that because it's true. And the way okay. you're saying that as well about, like, you know, not having red meat and things, people do get very, very like that when it comes to food. They read something and they're like, that's it. Not having a rasher for the rest of my life. I'll get cancer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, like, uh, and, and, uh, he, like, he really did challenge me on that because I would have absolutely been sitting in a camp of, oh my God, you eat red meat, you're like, it's an absolute, it's a guarantee that you're going to get cancer. But the context around it is actually, there are so many other factors that will come into play about a person eating red meat, their stress, their lifestyle, like so many other things that are going to have an influence um, over that. So that was like, that was really helpful for me. Yeah, no, I love that. It's, uh, it's brilliant. And I think we need to be reminded it from time to time as well. Yeah, and particularly in kind of that health and wellness space, we do get far too polarized. Oh, yeah. Far too polarized about things. And we, we hear something might be good for our health. So we just assume, oh, well, if I eat this, that's brilliant. That's really healthy. So if I eat that food, then I'm going to be really unhealthy. And, you know, like health is so much more than just like these individual food items that we eat, like the con in the context of health, health is much, much more complex than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's so true. And yeah, it does get very polarized in the fitness industry. It's a nightmare. <laughs> um, okay. So I just want to say thanks for joining us today, but also before you go, Claire, where can everybody find you? 
Um, you can find me on um, Instagram is where I probably hang out a lot of the time. My handle is at Etology UK um, or my website is www.etology.co.uk. Brilliant. And as ever, guys, you can find me on Instagram's Chris H Fitness. And then you'll also find me on www.chrissyhawkins.com. And then if any horsey people are about, I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Strong in the Saddle. Uh, with Instagram, there's an underscore. With TikTok, there's no underscore at the end. Well, yeah, so just want to say thanks again for joining us today, Claire. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate everybody who listens to this podcast. So if you please could help me with the algorithm and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And even, you know, if you want to reach out and suggest topics for me, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Drop me a DM on Instagram or TikTok. And thanks again for listening. Hi guys, welcome back to Why Not? An interview today with a psychotherapist, Claire Feldman, who deals specifically with disordered eating. So we talk a little bit about some of the things that come up with disordered eating, how it's not always just a case of not um, having enough willpower. We talk about other things like trauma that can cause it, how exercise can actually be a part of it, how she came into working in this realm as well. And yeah, and some really interesting advice at the end as well, I think, which is really, really good. So definitely worth listening to for that as well. So guys, hope you enjoyed this episode.